Hey everyone, Jawad here with the Apex Podcast. How are we all doing today? How are we all doing this week? I hope everyone's good. Uh, I'm excited for the weekend. You know, if you if you're all still working and whatnot during the week, excited to have a bit of time off over the weekend. Maybe you know, go outside your five kilometer boundaries as well now that we can do here in Melbourne, Metro Melbourne, of course. Um, have a picnic or something like that, that'd be great, although I think the <laughs> the weather this weekend is not going to be too flash, so that might put um, put that plan on the back burner, though I do have a, a special birthday I'm going to be celebrating this weekend with a special somebody, so hopefully that gets to happen, the outdoor side of things. Anyway, <laughs> how are you all doing, guys? Hope we're all excited for some more racing this weekend, it just never ends which is great um we'll be debriefing on Bathurst from last week a bit later on um lot to talk about another epic great race as you would expect and you know you kind of didn't notice the lack of the crowd there probably only when you were going across the top of the mountain but the the camera work that they um, employed for that event made it so it didn't really feel like you were missing anything so you know you're still focusing on the cars you're still focusing on the action on the track and everything but you know when you look at some wider shots then you'll be like oh you know the top of the hill McPhillamy Park and everything skyline the <laughs> the areas are all empty and you know usually the place where I like doing my photography from underneath skyline that little viewing area you know I think there was some mounted police patrolling that area but no actual spectators because it wasn't allowed for that so yeah, more on Bathurst anyway a bit later. Wanted to start off with F1, of course. We've got the Portuguese Grand Prix on this weekend. And who would have thought back at the start of the year, um, pre-season testing time, that Portuguese Grand Prix would be even saying that in 2020? You know, you look back at Portugal and F1, you think Estoril, you think Eton Senna winning his first Grand Prix back in 1985 in the black and gold Lotus. Um, I think I'm a bit too young to have watched any of the races live that were in Portugal at the Estoril track awesome awesome track from what I've seen of it and driven in some games as well but the last Grand Prix that they held in that country was going back to 1996 and I think Jack Villeneuve won that one so it's the second new circuit that we've got on the revised calendar for this year it's also going to be the venue for the MotoGP finale too this year so be interesting to see how F1 goes there this weekend and then MotoGP will be set up as well for I think late November when they finish their season and they've done some testing there actually only a couple of weeks ago but there was no broadcast or any footage of it that I could find and dissect and analyze for you guys but I have been spending a bit of time playing Project Cars 2 and playing the Algarve circuit the at Pornamau, which is the track that we're going to be going to this weekend, not Estoril. Don't be confused, me talking so much about Estoril that we'll be going to that track. No, it's the um, circuit or something rather, Algarve in Portimao, in Portugal of course, it's a 4.6 kilometer blend of high speed, low speed corners, it's fast, it's undulating, a lot of blind corners as well, um, there's already been some concern from the likes of George Russell of course about track limits at turn one to be exploited on the outside, I can see what he's talking about because... <clears throat> 
turn one you kind of come over there on the main straight you kind of come over this rise and then the braking zone pretty much begins as the the hill um descends you know and that can often catch out people i guess so you know we'll be seeing a lot of car a lot of cars a lot of cars horde enforced Sorry, doing my Tony Gregg impersonation. Um, we're going to see a lot of cars coming hard into turn one and possibly missing the braking point and just exploiting the track limits. So, you know, that'll be interesting to keep an eye out for in the practice sessions especially. But overall, I think it looks like an exciting track. Um, we've got a single DRS zone two with the single detection point into the turn 15 complex. So it's not really a complex, it's just a high-speed build up around um, a right-hander so I think we should see some fast lap times it'll be like Mugello I think too probably not as wild as Mugello but you know it is a bit of a roller coaster around this place and I just can't wait you know because it's a new track we don't go to circuits that everyone likes I guess you know F1 wise it always ends up being places that are commercially rich and all that we get these Tilkadromes, which are not very popular, but um, the fact that we've you know been to Mugello, now we're at Portimao, and then later in the season we'll be going to, or not even later in the season, next race will be at Imola, you know, two-day weekend for them, so, you know, some exciting tracks to look forward to. Um, weather-wise, actually, we're expecting it to be a tad warmer than the Nürburgring. I think, you know, anything will beat uh, Nürburgring where we raced at previously, except for possibly Antarctica or Siberia, I wouldn't want to race all the way out there, maybe under Bernie Eccleston we want to, we might have got a race organised in Siberia, I wouldn't put past the old devil, but <laughs> alas that's not the case, and um, we've got a 40% chance of rain on Sunday as well for race day, but you know how it is with Grand Prix, it always seems to miss that, you know, it usually rains before the race and then buckets down after the race, never in between, so we're not going to really read into that much um, as far as form guides and everything because this is a completely blank a complete blank this is a complete blank canvas I think it's hard to go past Mercedes because of how strong they've been this year you know Lewis Hamilton as well he's eclipsed that record 91 wins can he do 92 this weekend which will be the big talking point and that record will be his you know, there's no more, I guess, I mean, there's always going to be comparisons and I'm not going to get into it too much today and everything. It's hard to avoid getting into a bit of a rant when you, I guess, look at what other people say and the arguments that they put forward. But I think it's going to form a great debate that I might have later in the year, possibly even post-season, uh, sitting down and talking about goats, you know, the greatest of all times, whether it's in Formula One, you know, MotoGP, tennis, we had that conversation again with the NBA and LeBron James winning a title for the Los Angeles Lakers, it's his third different team that he's won a championship for, I think it's fourth um, overall, and the comparisons again to Michael Jordan, who obviously we talked about earlier in the year with the Last Dance documentary, um, and his six titles, you know, which he did um three uh two lots of three peats as well for the chicago bulls so you know there's a whole another conversation for another time and i'm hoping to actually get a, a guest to a special guest actually to help me 
go over that and um, I'm not going to say who it is um, and I actually haven't spoken to this person yet about that so if they're listening they will be like what but you know it could be any one of you guys but yeah now I've got someone possibly lined up to do that little discussion with and I think they'll be able to offer quite a bit of insight and some interesting knowledge in regards to this whole debate so yeah Hamilton's going to make that tie title he'll make the title his own too but he'll get that record for wins this weekend if he can win the 92nd we also got the possibility that Mercedes could clinch their seventh constructors championship as well this weekend they need a minimum result of a 1-3 so win the race with third place finish and then for Red Bull to score no points this weekend so if that was to come to pass and I think it's you know going to require all sorts of stars to align and everything um you know, you could be on the brink of Mercedes breaking a record as well. You know, most consecutive constructors championships won in the sport, you know, which, you know, Ferrari didn't even get that far when they were in their dominant period in the early 2000s. So, you know, it's been a interesting year, you know, it's probably not been the most classic year. Um, you don't sit there and be like, you know, I sit there and say, wow, for a lot of it, but then there's aspects where you're like, uh, you know, you know, whatever kind of thing, but importantly, you know, these records being broken and everything is just a testament to how good this team is, and I've said it time and time again, you know, you wax lyrical, um, you (laughs) start talking to the point of ad nauseum, and, you know, it's like, well, it kind of, you kind of have to remind not only yourself, but other people out there who want to be the naysayers and criticize the team for winning all the time or the rules and everything. It's like, well, you know, you can only do as good as the the rules that are presented in front of you. And with the other teams, Ferrari, Red Bull as well, they had the opportunity this year to challenge for the title, but for their own particular reasons, which is not to do with the rules at all. It's, you know, them the teams themselves being tying a hand behind their back or whatever it is you want to say um, because of their own shooting themselves in the foot kind of thing they've not been able to challenge so that's not the the winning team's fault so we'll just leave that and move on what is a bit scary though <laughs> when you think about uh, Mercedes and the run that they're on they've actually come out and said that they've halted their development for 2020 or it's been finished so this car will no longer be developed for 2020 and instead they're focusing on the upgrades for 2021 where they will bring the same car with them of course but you know they'll have these tokens that they're allowed to use to develop their car for next year so you know when you look at that it's like well can anyone kind of close the gap this season? Are the other teams going to even bother trying to close the gap this season? You know, will they end up doing what Mercedes does and, you know, shift their resources towards developing those tokens for 2021 and see if they can close the gap there? Because, you know, for Red Bull, it will be their last opportunity to try and win with Honda as well. And I think, you know, Honda power-wise, they're pretty much there with the the front runners but it's just the chassis side that's kind of let them down and you know you can't say anymore that oh you know Mercedes has engine modes and all that sort of stuff you know it's it's that's not a valid argument anymore um and even though they did enforce that regulation this year in the middle of the season controversially enough um it still hasn't stopped the dominant run of pole positions that we have for the Silver Arrows and also race wins. So it'll be interesting to see how that 
pans out and what everyone's development decisions are, of course. Um, Ferrari obviously trying to, you know, get themselves out of the hole that they're in and we know that their situation might not improve next year, but they've um, publicly said that, you know, they're going to be focusing on 2022 when the new technical package um, or the aero package comes into play. So, you know, it... It means that, you know, we get deprived of a championship battle between the front-running teams. We get deprived of some, you know, cool battles out the front for the race win, you know, wheel-to-wheel and everything. But at the end of the day, most fans will probably say to you, oh, you know, like, we love watching the, the midfield battle, you know, look at look at them at the moment, three teams fighting for third in the Constructors' Championship, they're separated by six points, they've all been on the podium this year at least once, um, Racing Point currently lead that battle, then you've got McLaren who've had a bit of a uh, downturn in form lately, you know, they've suffered a lot of failures, they've been, you know, not finishing the races and everything, not scoring points, and then Renault who are just on a upwards trajectory at the moment and the last race you know Daniel Ricciardo getting on the podium you know his hard work I guess which is said by Cyril Abitable himself that you know it's basically the fruits of his labours um, Ricciardo's labours that is that is coming to fruition and we're seeing that in the form of the car so you know they're gonna hopefully keep going up as well which you know concerns me for the McLaren side of things that, you know, I was like, oh, you know, McLaren are going to finish third in the Constructors' Championship, they're going to be the most consistent team, but, you know, when you got, when you got a guy like Ricardo who has a good car under his belt now and is able to pull out those results, it's going to be very difficult, but I still am not wiping off McLaren just yet, I think they can come back and do it. You've got Racing Point, of course, who have the cloud over their head about Lance Stroll still. There's been no confirmation as such as to whether he'll be fit to race this weekend. Of course, he ended up with some kind of stomach bug after the Russian Grand Prix and then for the next two weeks up until uh, Nürburgring as well, which then resulted in him missing the Eiffel Grand Prix. Nico Holgenberg got substituted in and did a fascinating job, did an amazing job, and I'm sure he'll be on standby again this weekend if Stroll is unable to drive the car or, you know, they had Stoffel Van Dorn, I think, supposed to do that, but then Holgenberg was the one who was available. So, you know, there's a question mark around that too, but then you look at how Sergio Perez has been performing too. Yeah, he missed two races, but he's still the same points as Stroll, or now he's ahead on points than Stroll. So hopefully your podium is around the corner for Checo. Of course, there's a lot of questions and you know speculation about his future as well and some silly season twists I guess we might come to expect in this latter half of the season so one of them of course being Checo possibly to Williams now was reading that the other day and you know commercially it would make sense and also from the point of view of having a seasoned driver there to help lead development and all that which means you know who would miss out at Williams like you wouldn't punt George Russell because He's, you know, got the talent there, but also he's got those Mercedes ties, and basically Williams um, are running the Mercedes engines. They should still be for the future as well. Um, Then that might leave poor Nicholas Latifi without a seat, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will say, oh, you know, we're better off without him, but, you know, give him the chance to prove himself, you know, beyond this season, and he brings some key backing and funds to the team as well. So, but if I was 
if I had to choose, then I would say, yeah, I would take Jekko over Latifi. So, you know, it sounds pretty cutthroat, but that's the, that's, I guess, Formula One and that's, you know, what it is um, and what has, it has always been that way too. Um, we've also got Nico Hulkenberg, of course, who's on the market, who's being linked to all sorts of teams now and, you know, the biggest, you know, in the new cycle of the last week, it's been firmly around Red Bull and whether, you know, he will partner Max Verstappen next year. Now, there was that call, of course, that before the um, Eiffel Grand Prix that Red Bull had, or Helmut Marco, sorry, got in touch with Hulk and said, oh, you know, like, could you possibly sub in for Alex Albon if he ends up testing positive for COVID because there was an inconclusive test for him and some team members. So the fact that, you know, Marco and Red Bull have reached out to Hulk. Does that mean, you know, he's on their radar? Um, a counter-argument as well, you know, for Albon's favour, of course, is the fact that, you know, he's a Thai driver. Red Bull are 51% Thai-owned. Um, the Red Bull Energy Drinks Company, that is, and it would not be good, you know, commercially if they decide to give Albon the dump. So... It's a very tricky one, that, of course, um, you know, everyone's been kind of, everyone at Red Bull, I should say, sorry, because not everyone in people-wise have been very supportive of Albon, they say, yeah, they should dump him or whatever, but they don't realise that, you know, he needs time, you know, he needs support from, you know, the team, which, yeah, he got in the form of getting the experienced engineer, Simon Rennie and everything, but at the same time, um... <laughs> it's going to be difficult being teammate to Max Verstappen. So what do they do? You know, if they sack Albon or demote him to Toro Rosso or, sorry, Alpha Tauri, what's that going to say about the Red Bull program then, the junior driver program, which they've, you know, talked about for years and years and years. They've, ex- you know, spent so much money on trying to get all these drivers into this program. And then basically in the space of what, like six years since um, Sebastian Vettel left Red Bull, they've gone through or they've demoted, they're going to have demoted three drivers if they end up uh, putting um, Albon back to Alpha Tauri too. So, you know, Danny Fiat, um, then Pierre Gasly last year, and now Albon. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. We've also got Gasly coming up, possibly not for next year, and I thought this in my mind too after he won the race there and at Monza that you know I wouldn't mind putting Gasly or taking him out of Red Bull you know possibly you know him flying free of that but there could possibly be an engine deal up for grabs um, if Gasly ends up going to what's going to become Alpine next year so the Renault team um, whether there'll be kind of a little thing where you know Red Bull give the uh, knock on the door to Red, uh, sorry, Red Bull give the knock on the door to Renault and say, hey, um, uh, can we um, use one of your engines uh, possibly, you know, for Alpha Tauri or even for both teams? So there could be some logic behind that where Renault turn around and say, oh, well, you know, we want um, you to give us something to, sorry, we want you to give us something that will sweeten the deal and that could possibly be a driver so you would see Pierre Gasly possibly go over there partner Fernando Alonso who of course will be on a two-year deal that means unfortunately Ocon will be out Esteban Ocon and I guess Ocon this year hasn't been too impressive 
Um, and, you know, I kind of whispered this a couple of weeks ago, wondering if someone's going to pull me up about it. But um, I think there's a lot of people in agreement over this, which is a shame because, you know, on raw talent and everything, Ocon's one of the best drivers out there. You hear about his prodigious talent so much and you say, oh, you know, he was the only one to have made beaten Max Verstappen in the junior formulas as well. But we just haven't seen it consistently yet in F1 and now he's at a big manufacturer team like Renault he's got a teammate in Ricardo who's doing really well at the moment we should be seeing similar results you know if not you know the same but like maybe you know a position behind or something so if Ricardo's finishing fourth or fifth or third or whatever you should see Ocon also in the top five top, top six as well not top six. <laughs> um, you should see Ocon in the top six as well, but we haven't seen that so far this season. So that'll be an interesting one to follow as well. And I kind of picked it um, going back after Monza that, you know, for Gasly career-wise, if Red Bull are not going to promote him back to the main team, which I don't think they should anyway, because it might end up going back to how things were, you know, where he just in the whole team is not very comfortable. Um you know, the car is not to his liking again, you know, he seems to be at home better at the Alpha Tauri car, so does he decide to to fly the coupe and go somewhere else, and I think, you know, French driver who's, you know, first French race, uh, first French F1 winner since 1996, ends up going to represent French brand like Renault or Alpine, I think it would be very, uh, very good for those guys. You got the case about, you know, Mick Schumacher as well and possibly going in at Alpha Terry, sorry, not Alpha Terry, Alpha Romeo. And apparently now the case is that, you know, it's actually Haas that could be looking at having Schumacher and also another rookie alongside him in an all new lineup. So that means Grosjean and Magnussen would be out for next year. Could be also, you know, a way for Ferrari to try and, you know, keep Haas in their family as well, you know, Haas, of course, struggling this year, a lot to do with um, Ferrari's power unit struggles for the year, so whether Haas is thinking about going elsewhere as far as engine supply is concerned, and then there's also all these other components that they take from Ferrari as well, I think, you know, a couple of Ferrari Academy drivers might be a way of, um, you know, sticking in that camp, so, you know, you've got the likes of Mick Schumacher, of course, but then also, uh, Nikita Mazepin and Robert Schwartzman, two Russian drivers, of course, with the backing of uh, Nikita's father. I think uh, I keep forgetting his name, but he's a big uh, oligarch there um, in Russia. So he's seriously, you know, he's got serious funds and serious backing as well, which I think will make the case over to Gene Haas and Gunter Steiner. Whereas, you know, for Alfa Romeo, it could be the status quo being maintained next year. So Kimi Raikkonen next to Antonio Giovinazzi. <laughs> yes, so that's kind of the state of play at the moment with that. You know, I didn't really talk too much about... Um, the race itself for for Portimao, I'm sure it's going to be exciting and, you know, a lot to look out for. Um, quickly as well, a lot of talk about the 2021 calendar too, which, you know, we don't really have any hints or anything or solid ideas as to what it's going to look like. But there's been a lot of chatter, um, especially here about the Australian Grand Prix and how that's going to look. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was suggesting perhaps they might look at a later date in the year, you know, twin it with the likes of Japan or Singapore. Uh, Australian Grand Prix 
chairman, commission, corporation, one of those. <laughs> yeah, um, Andrew Westacott from the AGPC ended up saying that, you know, we're still going to be holding the first race that's going to be at the end of March. So they're confident, or we're confident, you should say, that the race is going to be here in its usual time. When you look at what's going on at the moment in, you know, Melbourne, Victoria in general, you kind of feel like, okay, well, yes, it is still six months away, six months is a long time, a lot can happen in six months, but, you know, we still don't know if we're going to be coming out of full lockdown yet, you know, whether it's going to be this Sunday or next Sunday, you know, it's, it kind of keeps, you know, going to and fro, to and fro, it's doing my head in, I'm sure it's doing everyone else's heads in as well for many other reasons, but the possibility of having the race in March, you know, if it can be done and done in a safe manner, they're talking about limited crowds as well, of course, which, you know, you've got to have a crowd at Albert Park if you want to run that race and um, run it feasibly because there's no point setting up all that infrastructure for a street circuit, not having fans there, you know, that's one of the things I thought, you know, if they do do the race behind closed doors this year when we were there on the Friday for before the cancellation, it's just, you know, all that money that's spent, all that time that's spent setting up the circuit infrastructure, which, let's be honest, begins December. You've got to have a, you know, know by December what's going on, which I'm sure we will, but also from our local government, are we going to be able to have people come in from overseas? You know, you're going to have to fly in all the people, you know, whether you're reporters and journalists, broadcasters, they're all going to be able to come over and everything. You know, that's going to be a federal government decision and you know border patrol and everything as well what the procedures for covid safe are going to be too you know at the moment of course journalists and whatnot and reporters are not allowed into the paddock you know which i'm sure sucks for a lot of them who a lot of their work basically comes from being inside the paddock rather than doing these press conferences and stuff over zoom um so a lot of question marks still as to how things are going to look you know, for season 2021 when it does begin and, you know, for supercars as well, you know, their calendar, like we've basically had it slip from, you know, not only James Warburton when they were doing the Channel 7 announcement, but also Sean Seymour, the CEO of Supercars over the weekend at Bathurst saying, we'll see you at um, Bathurst in February. So that means, you know, Supercars next year, the season opener will be a Bathurst 500, like the Adelaide 500, so they'll do some 250k races there, single driver only, that's going to take place late in February, typically when the Adelaide 500's on, so, and tying in with that, I guess, we got the official announcement earlier in the week that their Bathurst 12-hour race will be unfortunately cancelled for next year so that makes sense and everything given the restrictions and everything on international travel and all that um, but if that got cancelled you know for February as it is every early February every February early on um, in the year what will be different about you know the Grand Prix in March being able to have everyone come over I think you know maybe more of a you know revenue raiser good for the economy yada 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 um so a lot I guess of water still to go under the bridge but being here on the ground in Melbourne it's just you know 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm going to be able to do for Christmas yet. You know, you know, I've got things lined up and would love to do X, Y, and Z, but who knows? I don't even know what I'm doing next week yet. Am I? Is my shop going to open? Is it going to stay closed? It's a lot of just unknowns. So. Yeah, I'll leave it at that anyway, but um, coming back to Portimao, I keep, you know, we get carried away and talk about other things, um, yeah, looking forward to the race, it's going to be a bit on, it's going to be on a bit later, midnight start, I think, on Sunday for us here on the East Coast, but um, should still be pretty good. Alright, so now getting to my favourite part... <laughs> You probably think, you know, I've been hanging out all week to talk about it and everything, but Bathurst 1000, far out, it was an amazing race, it always is, you know, and this year I got the chance to live blog the race as well for the website, Um, it was really, it was really good, first time I've live blogged a race that long, I think, as well, you know, six hours it ended up being, I think it was a record finish, or one of the record finishes in the end, five hours, something or other, but still, you know, the longest race that I've had to sit there and actually um, do lap-by-lap coverage for, I didn't just sit there the whole time, of course, I had to get up and have breaks and, you know, get uh, food and beverages and everything, you know, I had my um, co-driver or race engineer you could say uh, probably more like a race engineer um with me as well and uh got got everything organized got fed and everything so i really am grateful for that but yeah you know the fairy tale victory you got to say for holden their final race as a manufacturer in the supercars championship and you know the lion will be sleeping well tonight you know 34 wins now for holden at the mountain still well ahead of ford you know achieved this time by garth tander and shane van gisbergen Gizzy winning his first race at the mountain, of course, there's so many stories of him and heartbreak, you look back to 2014 and then finishing runner-up there twice, um, including last year there um, behind Scott McLaughlin and Alex Premer, so when you look at the race and you look at the, I think, the last two stints, which, you know, you always look at the final stint as being, you know, your, you know, a sprint race in itself, but just how epic was the final two stints the penultimate stints you know between Holden versus Ford you had Van Gisbergen versus Cameron Waters there in the Tickford car who you know the number six car the monster energy car fast all weekend you know they were on pole position they had the shootout fastest lap as well broke the record from last year too for a 203.559 co-driver Will Davison was handy as well all race and I guess ultimately you got to say that um, it was just a cool suit failure which you know you had similar issues issues um on the other tickford cars too i think jack lebrock had um, some fumes coming into his helmet you had similar cool suit problem for lee holdsworth in the in the five truck assist car so you know all things considered they did really well and for waters to be there right at the end with gizzy you know pushing him every lap you know they were both setting qualifying laps you know um so picture that you know two stints in an endurance race or at Bathurst especially where you're just doing qualifying laps you know it's it's a hard track as it is to master and then you know it's so easy to make a mistake but you know they're pushing each other and in the end you know it was like 0.6 of a second that separated the two 
we had this um, threat of rain, I guess, um, when you, if you look back to even my preview last week on the show, um, I said, oh, you know, the forecast is there is for rain all day on Sunday. Didn't happen. We basically just had a brief, <laughs> a brief shower around lap 56, and that's basically where um, Van Gisbergen got himself ahead, got to the lead of the race, um, just you know, Gizzy, that's the kind of driver he is, he is so good in intermediate, in wet conditions, He, they're all on the slick tyre still, but he just was able to get his car where the others couldn't, you know, we saw Scott McLaughlin struggling with his car, I think they were running a bit too much, or running not a lot of wing on that car, so of course he struggled quite a bit, but then, you know, even Waters and Fabian Coulthard, Chaz Mostert and all, they were struggling in that time while Gisbergen just walked past a lot of them, took the lead, um, then Garth Tander hopped in for the next stint, which probably was one of the best co-driver stints I've seen, and most people have seen, you know, Tander, you don't look at Tander as a co-driver, I mean, he was only a main game driver only a couple of years ago, he's now four-time Bathurst 1000 winner, he's a series champion as well, um, and just one of Holden's favourite sons, I guess, you know, you look at the legacy for Holden, the winning, Bathurst winning drivers, championship winning drivers, and Garth Tander's name is certainly up there now with the, the four wins, so he did one of those amazing, amazing stints up until lap 98, and then from there, Gizzy took over and ended up doing his quali laps to bring the car home for the win, and, you know, you look at um, the last kind of phase of the race, you know, we had eight laps to go, and we got two safety cars in those last eight laps, so first one brought out, because there was a couple of incidents, separate incidents, there was Bryce Forward hitting the wall there, um, or kind of locked up coming over Skyline or and just hit the wall um, before the dipper. Um, you had, or S's, yeah, someone confused me over the weekend. Um, or I confused myself, rather, as to the order. But yeah, he ended up hitting the wall there at the top of the mountain. You had... Jack Smith in all sorts of trouble <laughs> and this time he got himself into trouble um, getting bogged down at the chase so they brought out the safety car for that and then um, not too long after they restarted that one you had car 34 the um, unit entry Stone Goddard and Jake Kostecki ended up uh, crashing out as well so we had the safety car basically bring 97 and 6 back together because Shane had basically you know got out the margin, so it gave Cam Waters the opportunity again a couple of times, but again, you know, Ben Gisbergen's the, you know, hard enough to pass in a normal situation, you're not going to ex- expect to pass him easily when it comes to a Bathurst win, so he um, was able to hold off in that instance, coming third in the end, uh, Chaz Mostert, Warren Luff completing the podiums, and when you look at uh, Luffy's record, I guess, that's six podiums in the last nine Bathurst 1000s, you know, since 2012, so he's done that, um, you know, that's three now in the last four years with this team, uh, with Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, so he had a couple with Scott Pye, and now, you know, the one with Chaz Mostert, so good good effort from those guys, Mostert with his blue hair, I think, you know, that pretty much worked for him and everything, so, you know, good on them, and, you know, I had oh, hopes as well, you know, they could be a potential... Um, uh, candidate for the win, but unfortunately, you know, they got uh, stuck behind, and it was basically a two-horse race when we really got into the thick of it. 
out of the race early and you know you don't normally say this <laughs> especially for a um, Bathurst 1000 the triple eight car out of the race only on lap 33 which you know I was when it happened and happened before your eyes it was kind of like shock horror but then also you're cursing at the screen it's like what are you doing and it was it was Jamie Wincup who binned it early he found the wall on the outside of the track before the cutting he was tucked up behind Brody Kostecki who you know let's be fair Brody had a pretty hardcore day you know when he was putting up with um, all these hard charges behind him and ended up putting up a staunch defense and you know for Wincup a bit impatient in the past sorry impatient in the past and you know if he had waited another lap it could have come to him or even tried it down Conrad straight going into the chase but um, alas that was not the case and um, it kind of capped off a bit of an error-ridden weekend for for him in particular you know Craig Lowndes strapped in did his thing he was doing really well but you know Windcup made a couple of mistakes in the final corner including during the top 10 shootout as well so his lap time was not really indicative and then yeah to be out on lap 33 you know be the first major retirement out of the race as well I think it was a pretty bad um, move there and of course you know the hoodoo for for wind cup continues there at bathurst you know eventually you want to see him add to his tally you know he's got four wins there of course but um you know it wasn't going to be this year and for lounge as well you want him to get closer to the great man peter brock's record of nine um car 17 of course you know they they were big players as well with contention and everything but um their chances were hurt by a safety car <clears throat> uh, when Macaulay Jones put his teammate Jack Smith into the gravel, and we'll get to BJR a bit later, but, um, you know, at that point, you know, that safety car was bad for 17 and for Tim Slade in particular because he was just under his minimum co-driver laps required, which was, you know, when you when we watched it, we were trying to crunch the numbers and be like, oh, you know, is he going to be fine? Is he going to be fine? Unfortunately, no. So they had to pit under that safety car strategically to get fuel and tyres, but it also meant that they couldn't swap out their their co-driver for their primary driver. So, you know, to not hurt their race any more... I guess they kept Slade in the car and he ended up doing 71 laps before they had to pull him out and put um, Scotty in the car. So think about that. You know, Slade, of course, drove up until the end of last year as a main game driver, but put him up against the likes of, you know, Garth Tander, Cameron Waters, Fabian Coulthard. You know, he did well to survive those 71 laps and everything and basically put um, Scott back in the car and, you know, they couldn't do any better than fifth on the day. But still, they f- they finished unlike the Triple Eight car, of course, which then helped them in the team's championship. Fabian Coulthard and Tony Dalberto, they came home fourth, so... As you can imagine, they had enough points at DJR Team Penske to win the team's title as well for the year to cap off what's been a pretty pretty good year. You know, team's championship, driver's championship for Scotty, and then, of course, the manufacturer's title as well for Ford. There was um, big questions as well across the weekend, as you'd imagine, about um, Scotty's future as well in the category, of course. He kept saying that, you know, he's got a contract with the team for next year. Um, he's actually got a, he actually had to confirm that he's got a return ticket as well to um, Australia after he does the IndyCar race this weekend at uh, St. Petersburg for Team Penske. So, you know, 
the consensus is that yeah that's it he's uh, gone you know even though he's going to come back here to Australia he's probably going to you know just pack things up and uh, leave properly for next year to to race an IndyCar full time but you know when when it does happen if it does happen this year I'm sure I'll do a proper debrief and little little tribute to Scotty as well for his time in supercars because it's been been quite a special tenure you know he's one of those drivers that I got to I got the pleasure of following, you know, when he came into the sport back in 2012 and then made his proper debut in 2013, winning straight away with GRM, then the success that he had with Volvo as well over the years there with GRM and then making the shift to DGR Team Penske, you know, in 2017 and then from, you know, a year after that, you know, the heartbreak that he had in Newcastle where, you know, the title went to Win Cup, he's now won three championships in a row, so, you know, we've been there from the beginning, you know, we did the the good days, the bad days as well, Newcastle probably being the lowest back in 2017, so... You know, it's going to be a bit emotional because, you know, he's one of those drivers who's got that charisma as well. He's got that, you know, fan favorite. He's a fan favorite like, you know, Craig Lowndes was back in the day and everything too. So, you know, you wish him all the best um, for the future. But first, let's see how he goes this weekend and uh, see what the decision is as well as far as um, whether he's going to be making the shift there full time. Like, I think from what my gut says is it's going to happen you know, you don't get the invite from Roger Penske, or anyone doesn't get an invite from Roger Penske to race one of his Indy cars, even if it is just for one race, so I reckon, yeah, he's going to make that switch for next year, and good on him as well for winning the Barry Sheen medal, which is, you know, the Supercars Championships version of the Brownlow medal that you get in the AFL, or the Dallier medal, so basically the best and fairest, um, that's that uh, end of season award that they get. So you know, congratulations to Scotty for doing that. Um, bringing it back though to the race itself, at all let's talk about the whole weekend for BGR Brad Jones Racing. Bathurst bit them, bit them hard. Um, all sorts of problems all weekend, and you know I feel a bit bad because I had uh, you know the number eight car of Nick Perkett and Tom Randall as an outsider for the win. Um, unfortunately, they got um, done in qualifying or in the top 10 shootout. They had qualified uh, fourth. You know, they were on the second row, let's just say, for argument's sake, but then ended up uh, getting disqualified from the shootout results because of a uh, weight infringement or a technical infringement um, whereby the car was underweight and then during the race they had a power steering issue that kind of plagued them and put them in and out of the garage all day so that was their race pretty much done they did come home and uh, collect some points for being classified but at the end of the day it was like you know what's the point (laughs) we're out of contention for the win so it's basically all over and you know for the other cars as well you know early on we had problems with uh, the number three car Macaulay Jones and Tim Blanchard you know they had problems all weekend with the driver's side door basically just flying open and everything and it came back to bit them in the race again Um, they've got the black and orange flag from race control um, and then when they were supposed to come in and fix it, they stayed out for an extra lap, which copped them a 15-second time penalty as well. So, you know, and ironically enough, they ended up being the best 
finishing BGR car on the day. They finished 13th, those guys, even though they had the the crash there with um, Jack Smith as well. So McCauley basically escorting uh, Smith off there at the final corner, put him in the gravel. They both were in the gravel at one point, but um, uh, McCauley got out of there quicker. And then for Jack Smith, of course, he had the, um, you know, he beached himself at the chase later on in the race. It wasn't classified, and neither classified was uh, Todd Hazelwood and Jordan Boys. with rookie boys ended up having a problem. He dropped a wheel at the final corner rear and then lost the rear and uh, slapped into the pit lane wall, which was not very good. He was good, though, but the car was pretty much, uh, yeah, written off for that, so... Bad, bad weekend for BJR. You've got to feel for poor Brad Jones, you know, comes every year, and, you know, hasn't really had any success at Bathurst, you know, even as a as a team owner. And then, you know, when he was a driver, of course, as well, never got the chance to win the race itself, you know. We've got other tales of hardship as well. Matt Stone racing, of course. We saw a very emotional Gary Jacobson doing a TV interview after his car was retired from the race. They had issues, um, I think an engine oil leak. And then, of course, as said, uh, the unit car of uh, Jacob Stecky and St. Goddard, they crashed out late in the race. Um, problems there for Rick Kelly. You know, Dale Wood in the Castrol car, they had a clutch problem all day that put him in and out of the garage. David Reynolds ended up dropping a cylinder as well late in the piece, but basically limped around to finish in 15th and get some points so that was a bit of a shame for those guys um and, you know I've already said you know Brody Kostecki coming into the wars with some of the other drivers but um yeah you know you're always going to have more tales of hardship at Bathurst than you are tales of uh, glory and success but um you know that's just that's just Bathurst. That's that's what happens. You know, the mountain can be very unforgiving, though it really, you know, shined on Shane Van Giersberg and, and Garth Tander um, on this occasion. As well, um, I hinted last week, or I had the inkling that we would get some news around Gen 3, uh, the new regulations from 2022 in supercars over the weekend too. We did, probably a day later, as it always is convenient um and the unveiling of the chevrolet camaro that's going to be coming in for the gm team so basically the holden teams will become gm moving ahead and we'll have the camaro in 2022 which is exciting so overall the new specs for gen 3 cars it's going to be 200 kg lighter than the current car the chassis will be completely new of course you know there'll be less downforce there'll be a lower roof as well a wider front end to you know match the road car road car profile that we're following of course for the mustang and for the camaro so a lot more coupe friendly unlike the current chassis for gen 2 which they really had to butcher the mustang to try and adapt to it which is why it's got the higher roof and the more squished in back end so the next generation car is obviously going to be a lot more friendlier to those coupe body types and whatnot. So, and you know, supercars are not ruling out luring in new manufacturers as well. You know, Walkinshaw and Andretti United have said too that, you know, they're, you know, not 
fully committed themselves to the GM Camaro project for 2022. But, you know, of course, you know, they've got that to fall back upon if need be. You know, there was all sorts of rumours going around that, you know, they had got Kia on board or they got BMW on board and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that wasn't going to happen, did not happen. But um, what's going to happen in the future, we'll just have to wait and see. And they've even come out and said things, uh, supercars that is, as supercars that is, in that they're looking at getting a category spec engine as well, similar to what they do in the British Touring Car Championship uh, for prospective manufacturers so they don't have to come in and develop their own engine program, which, as we know, is a, a very expensive exercise. We saw the... Erebus team do that, of course, when they had the Mercedes-Benz cars, you know, Kelly Racing did that with the Nissans, and, you know, to very little success for however many years. Um, there is the concern, though, you know, from the likes of Van Gisbergen, of course, that with too many spec parts and all that sort of stuff, and, you know, basically going down the route of having spec cars, even, whether supercars is going to become too much like Porsche Carrera Cup for example which is a spec series but I don't think that'll be the case and I'm sure that supercars will try and make it so that that's not going to be the case because yeah we don't want to be watching you know the same cars (laughs) um, you know with nothing unique about them going around the track and whatnot and watching a spec series so ultimately what you could take away from Gen 3 is the fact that you know they're going to be cutting costs that focus is going to remain they want to focus on less data and engineering as well for the cars just to make the driver the star of the show and i think that's where supercars is one of the best touring car categories in the world is you know we've got these really really cool cars you know they're not easy to drive you know with all the assists and that sort of stuff and power steering well they've got power steering sorry but like traction control and all that sort of stuff but it's the drivers that make it this show, you know, they're the ones that are looked at as heroes, and you're like, oh, you know, we got Scotty McLaughlin, Chaz Mostert, Cam Waters, these guys are all legends, Craig Lands, Jamie Wincup, so as long as that stays the focus, I think supercars will be good, uh, and that's pretty much it, you know, I can't wait to see what it's going to look like at the end of the decade, which is an interesting question, I'm sure we're going to be going down the route of uh, some kind of hybrid power plant as well just to keep things road relevant and yeah you know just got to adapt with the times get with it awesome as well to see uh the victorian teams now back at home too so being on the road for what was it like 104 105 days or something um going back all the way to july when they had to leave when the victorian borders were being closed to the rest of the country you know uh the likes of Walkinshaw and Dreading United, Tickford, Team 18, who, let's not forget, they both got in the top 10 over the weekend. Um, Scott Pye's car with Dean Fiore ahead of Mark Winterbottom and Jimmy Golding. GRM as well, I guess, you know, with the wild card, even though they didn't have the best weekend either. Um, Daily raced at Bathurst, but still having to leave home and quarantine for two weeks before the race and everything, the Kelly gang as well, so, you know, all those guys, it's good to see them back home and everything, and, um, you know, put their feet up and uh, enjoy the rest of the year and get ready for 2021, 
which let's hope is uh, kind of back to some kind of normality and no more of this quarantining and, you know, all the stuff that they had to go through. But, yeah, amazing that we got through the supercar season. I'll do a proper season review in the coming weeks and everything or even, you know, wait till the end of the year, even though it's going to be a bit of a break. But, um, you know, it's just, yeah, it's nice that we finally got to go through with it. And before we wrap up and everything too so with MotoGP last weekend the Aragon Grand Prix really sad to hear that Valentino Rossi had to miss the weekend he tested positive for COVID um you know first of the big motorsport identities I guess you know like you know we've got Sergio Perez who got COVID in um F1 and whatnot but like you know world champion like high caliber Valentino Rossi, he was out for the weekend. Another crazy race. I had to watch the highlights because I wasn't going to stay up till midnight on Sunday, especially after all day of racing there with Bathurst. Uh, so Alex Rins ended up winning. Suzuki won three finish with Juan Mir finishing in third. And now he's on top of the standings, which is really, really weird. This championship just gets weirder and weirder. But hey, that's the unique of MotoGP and I guess the year without Mark Marquez too and just briefly as well <laughs> as brief as I can be wanted to pay tribute to the Regen e-racing podcast who released their final episode over the weekend which you know made me very sad because you know it comes as a bit of a shock of course where your podcast buddies announced that um, this will be their last episode and that they're going to be hanging up the mics um, for good question mark <laughs> um you know it's been a pleasure um and a real privilege knowing those guys you know i'm sure we're going to be in touch anyway still you know good friends now um they're dino the architect um of regen and having chris on board too he paid tribute to chris too very lovely um it's just been awesome you know listening to those guys for the last or since i've been listening you know the last year and a half and you know just the fun that they have the chemistry between the two i love media of the week i know i tweeted that to them earlier in the week that oh you know what's going to happen when i need my media of the week fix kind of thing so and just when you know we do it our collaborations as well um had both the guys come on the show um not too long ago actually a few months ago and chris was just you know, on the ball, he was so funny, he's a wealth of knowledge, and, you know, if you haven't listened to the Regen E-Racing podcast before, do yourself a favour, guys, and listen to them, even though, you know, it's probably not up to date because the Formula E season's finished and everything, just listen to some of those classic episodes, listen to the most recent ones where, you know, just everything is so great and yeah you know i know it's been a tough year for everyone um with the lack of content and everything and you know numbers and stuff as well probably don't look as good but you know thanks guys for sticking it out as long as you did and um you know giving people like me the opportunity as well to come onto your show get to know you guys you know become friends and everything because that's what this is all about in the end you know as dino kind of put at the end very eloquently that you know not in this to for other things apart from just having fun and you know meeting new people and you know meeting new friends so yeah bit a bit a bit a bit sad I guess you know I mean I'm not gonna I'm not crying you know I'm not crying like like Lando Norris says but um 
yeah, it's going to be a bit weird now not having uh, a new episode from those guys pop up in my inbox um, every so often. But, um, you know, all the best for future endeavors and everything for, for both guys, for Dino and Chris. I'm sure we're going to be in touch regardless. Uh, <laughs> if I ever need some Formula E questions answered, I'm sure I'll get, because uh, I believe Dino's not going to be able to do any guest appearances. He doesn't have his gear anymore, but um, if I need any Formula E questions answered or I need some uh, inside words on stuff, I'm sure I'll get in touch with you, Chris. So um, don't fret. But um, yeah, you know, it's 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 a big loss in the podcast community, but at the same time, you know, life goes on and, you know, decisions you've got to make, you know, sometimes they're not the easiest, but then, you know, when you look back at them in the long run, it's um, it makes sense and everything. And, you know, there's been times where, you know, I've questioned whether to continue on and whatnot as well, but, you know, I just get on with it you know because at the end of the day I'm doing it for the love of it for the fun of it even if it is just me on my own um but it's it's the love and the passion that keeps me going and the excitement of being able to talk about things that I love and um look at watch breathe in the content and everything week in week out so yeah don't want to end the podcast on too a somber note but um you know I'll put in put in the link as well in the description for this week's episode um for some well not some yeah i'll try and find the all the collaborations that we've done with uh, that i've done with those guys if not then i'll just put in the link for our most recent episode that we did a few months ago on this show quality quality material and um yeah that pretty much wraps it up for this week so remember you can find us on twitter at hit the apex media i probably don't tweet as much um on any of my accounts actually that often you know don't think that i've dropped off the face of the earth or anything i'm still here but just i haven't had the urge or the urgency to look on twitter it's just not been the most friendliest of places recently but um you know that's that's it that's it <laughs> anyway guys hope you enjoy this weekend's uh, portuguese grand prix if you're watching motor gp2 indycar for scotty's debut there and um i'll be back next week to to wrap it all up and um speak the mind as always thanks guys take it easy and enjoy <laughs> <laughs>